From finance and commerce, this is Beyond the Skyline, a podcast about economic development, commercial real estate, and construction in Minnesota. Above all, it's a show about what's next, creativity, and the innovation and technology that are changing how we work and shaping the future of business throughout our state. In each episode, you will meet business leaders, builders, entrepreneurs, and big thinkers who may challenge the status quo, but also make their dreams a reality. I'm Joel Shetler, your host and editor of Finance and Commerce, Minnesota's oldest business newspaper and online publication. Thanks so much for joining me. The COVID-19 crisis was just heating up in April when Ellis Black Development was officially launched. Bad timing? Not necessarily, say founders Michael Hudson and William Boulay. Ellis Black Development, the development arm of St. Paul-based Ellis Black Constructors, has a strong focus on affordable housing, and the need for those homes isn't going away. Quote, once LS Black constructors had kind of that confidence that their specific business lines weren't going to be interrupted, they were ready to go, Hudson said. Quote, and to be honest, we think everything that's going on now is probably going to make the need for affordable housing even greater, end quote. In the following interview, Hudson and Boulay talk about how they got into the affordable housing business, what's on their plate these days, and what policymakers can do to grease the skids for more affordable shelter. Well, thank you for joining me today. I'm uh, pleased to be joined by William Boulay and Michael Hudson of LS Black Development. Um, good morning. Thanks for checking in. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, so. Uh, Wanted to ask you about uh, this Ellis Black development. I understand it's a fairly new initiative um, that was, was born out of Ellis Black um, constructors. And I was wondering if you could talk about that and just uh, when it was launched and um, touch on the backstory of uh, how this uh, got started. Yeah, so I'll take I'll take that first one. So Willie and I actually both met started the same day at dominium a large affordable housing developer out of plymouth minnesota um, and worked together there for quite a bit of time and william uh, i actually left in 2018 to go work for lifetime fitness and help them start up their uh, residential development uh, program that they have um, willie and i stayed in touch um, and, and i was looking to get back into the affordable housing world. Uh, Willie and I are good friends outside of work as well. Um, and we always stayed in touch and kind of wanted to start our own thing. Uh, so we were networking with, with a lot of different people and, you know, kind of trying to kick around how we could, you know, start our own company and specifically start our own company doing affordable housing development. Um, we ended up getting connected with Sterling Black, who is the CEO and owner of LS Black Constructors. Um, and we got connected with him because he was kind of kicking the, around the idea of getting into the development world um, to help out uh, the construction company, but also, you know, he saw a void uh, in the affordable housing industry and uh, was interested in that. Um, so, so we talked to him, you know, about the programs that we use and kind of explained some of that to him. He asked some really, some really great intelligent questions. Uh, so we could tell that he he really got it and you know had an interest in it. So we ended up partnering with him and um, 
made it official in April of this year. So right, right in the middle of uh, COVID and all of that, we decided to take the plunge and start the new company. So it's been, it's been fun since then. Yeah, that's quite a time to start out. Um, how, did, how did that play out? We had been working on it with him for probably six months or so. Um, and so we were just ironing out a lot of those kinks. Ellis Black um, does a lot of federal and institutional work that, uh, you know, shortly after um, we started quarantining and everything like that, um, they kind of got confirmation that I think all of their projects were still moving forward and they were continuing to be awarded other important, you know, city of Minneapolis and other other projects. Um, and so once once they had kind of that confidence that their specific business lines weren't going to be interrupted, they were ready to to go. And and to be honest, I think we we think that uh, everything that's going on now is probably going to uh, make the need for affordable housing even greater. And and Sterling agreed. And so we figured it was it was the right time to to start it up. Well, unfortunately, construction was deemed an essential business, so. You know, things are moving along and, and like you said, affordable housing, it's a problem that is with us and it's, it's, it's not going to go away anytime soon. Um, there's a, a lot of different levels to the whole affordable housing challenge, I know, from providing shelter to people who literally don't have a home to having um, affordable middle class homes for working people with average or modest incomes uh where do where do you see your company fitting in that spectrum sure yeah so willie and i both echo your point that there's a need for more housing on all ends of the spectrum there's a lot of companies that are really great at providing you know a lot of them are nonprofits that provide uh lower set aside um for you know extreme poverty or you know homeless populations um, which is which is great work and desperately needed. We fit more uh, that um, workforce housing need. So a lot of our projects um, are the 60% of the area median income. That's that's our resident. That's who we serve. Um, but like you said, I just like to echo that whole spectrum. Um, there's not enough product for really anyone on that spectrum. So. Um, it's all it's all desperately needed yeah we're, we're definitely advocates for mo more supply overall in the market to kind of lessen the upward pressure on rents as well as the other affordable housing world so we, we hope to uh uh do do what we can in our space and provide op options from that like mike said 40 to 80 percent ami focusing at 60 averaging at 60 and um and then being advocates for the other the other desperately needed uh uh slots uh, or 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 what have you so what's i i know i wrote recently about one of your projects in northeast minneapolis um sounds like a great project uh, really sharp looking development that's the uh, one on california and uh, 23rd i believe um so how how is uh what can you tell me about that project and, and any other specific projects you're working on right now Sure. Um, this would be our kind of first project that we're um, have been working on moving forward. Um, it's a 164 units of one, two, and three bedroom apartment homes, all of which would be affordable 
um, between 40 and 80 percent AMI, so that workforce range uh, with a diverse mix, uh, but averages to 60 overall. Uh, the building is in the Botno neighborhood in a zone that the comprehensive, the new comprehensive plan um, plans for a production mixed use, um, which means they want to kind of um, allude to the, the light industrial history of the area and the site. Um, it was grain silos and an elevator for, for many, many years, and they were recently demolished in 2018. Um, and so there'll be about 13,400 square feet on the ground floor of of that production space. We're currently programming that now, but we hope it uh, will become a space for an artist-focused um, production um, space that supports jobs, but also um, adds to the creativity and the, and the um, viability of the, of the neighborhood. So um, we're really excited about it. Um, we love the site from a standpoint of the access to jobs and transportation in the river for our potential residents. Um, and making it a, a, you know, using an underutilized site in a wonderful neighborhood to add affordable housing options um, to a dynamic part of the city. So we're really excited about that being our first one to move forward. And I think you're working with ESG on that, is that right? So, well, yep, they're working on the design side. They're great to work with, uh, very responsive. And, you know, you see their designs all over town. They do a great job, so partner. Yeah. What else do you have in the works? Um, is there anything specific you can talk about now or just kind of uh, any other opportunities you're seeing out there? Yeah, we're looking at some other sites here locally, nothing that we can really share at this point. Um, and we're also targeting projects uh, in Texas right now. Um, they have uh, a growing population um, and a need uh, desperate need for affordable housing and they have some resources readily available uh, to build. So we have a project under construction, or I'm sorry, under a contract in Georgetown, Texas, uh, north of Austin, um, that we have 200 units planned there. Um, we're, you know, just beginning the process to uh, work with our architects on a little bit of design and then we'll be going into the city uh, later this year uh, to hope to get that one entitled um, and then targeting some other projects in the Dallas Fort Worth area. Um, again, their population growth is kind of crazy um, and they don't have enough housing stock to uh, keep up with it. So hoping to help down there as well. So you're based right here in St. Paul, I believe. Is that right? Yep. yep. It looks like you're actually looking at opportunities nationally, not just in the Twin Cities, so that's yeah, yeah. Willie and I both have experience working nationally, um, and specifically both of us in Texas as well. So we're very familiar and comfortable with those with those markets too. But um, yeah, the affordable housing crisis is is a national one. So anywhere that we can we can plug in and be useful, that's uh, that's what we want to do. Well, just to back up a little bit, you both mentioned that you have backgrounds in affordable housing. Um, how did you get there and how did you get become interested in affordable housing? Um, is it just some just kind of a passion you had for uh, a, a long time or how, how did you end up in this place? Yeah, so so for me, I uh, my parents had a small uh, like eight eight unit 
apartment complex in Annapolis, Maryland. I'm actually from out east, um, which was actually really uh, naturally occurring affordable housing. So I grew up around that and loved just real estate in, in general. So I went to school at Marquette University in Milwaukee and was in the real estate program there and ended up taking a class in, I think, I believe it was called Decent and Affordable Housing, uh, which kind of enlightened me to the housing problem in the United States. And then also some of the tools like the low-income housing tax credit that are used to fix it. Um, that really sparked my interest. Uh, and then I took a semester in DC and interned for the National Housing and Rehabilitation Association, which is a trade association for specifically affordable housing developers. Um, when I was there, I learned about Dominium, uh, one of the largest housing owners, uh, affordable housing owners and producers in the nation. Uh, and when I went back to school, I pretty much immediately applied for an internship there. Uh, and at that, and then spent a semester up in Minnesota uh, working for them. And that was the first time that I had ever come to Minnesota. So uh, then after graduation, uh, I decided to come back and work for Dominium, um, which is really just a great, a great place to learn. A lot of uh, development shops have actually, you know, come out of the Dominium program, uh, a lot of the prolific developers in, the, uh, in this area. So uh, very thankful to them for, for all I learned there. Um, and then uh, that's given us the, the opportunity to go out and do our own thing. I'll let Willie. I, I took a, a far less direct path than Mike. Um, I, I think I was always interested in it, but I didn't really even know it was a job, uh, to be honest with you, until later on. Um, in my in my education, um, I went to Northwestern University in Illinois um, and studied environmental engineering basically there. Um, and and I was really interested in renewable energy and different things. But I also um, the, where the light bulb went off for me was I was in graduate school at the University of Minnesota um, doing public policy work. So there's some land use and some real estate adjacent um, uh, folks that have come out of Humphrey School. Uh, but I found myself reading every article about you know, Target Field when it was built and the North Loops changes and and uh, took a class in real estate development um, from an adjunct professor in grad school where the light bulb went off for me that that was a, of a specific interest in, in development and, and, in, uh, and in building. So um, I sort of uh, networked throughout the industry and tried to meet every different type of person from, you know, developers to lenders and brokers and everyone that touches it and and, and found my home in, in development. I didn't know much about affordable housing uh, at all until I, I happened to meet someone from Dominium who said they were hiring and uh, the interview went well and I took the leap, not really knowing what I was getting into. Um, but it was, uh, I'm glad that I did because it was a, a, a you know an absolute uh, fit for me and I, I found it very motivating and fulfilling to um, not only be working on, on development but having it uh, provide a public service as well, so. I haven't looked back since. <laughs> All right. Well, um, you know, I know I don't have to tell you that these projects can be very challenging to, 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 to finance and so on. What, what sorts of tools would you like to see out there to help make more of these projects happen? I know a, a bonding bill certainly would have been helpful with some uh, funding for, for these projects. What, uh, any thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I think, um, you know, because of where uh, the affordable housing that we're providing um, on sort of a workforce scale, you know, we know that the, the, the most subsidy and the most resources are needed at those lower levels and homeless uh, units and service wrapped units. So definitely advocates for at the state level, the housing infrastructure bonds and other tools that can help support those projects. Um, I think for, you know, so for us, we're trying to um, reduce the local subsidy ask when possible um, and, you know, relying on things like TIP and local cities to help move it forward so that our project is helping pay um, for the support we're getting. I think the things that might be most impactful for um, the workforce housing space are federal potential changes. And in, it's actually been proposed for quite a while and it was included in, in potentially one of the future CARES Act um, bills, but it has to do with providing more tax exempt bonding to states um, in different, there's different policy ways to achieve that, but it would allow more projects to be done um, and uh, wouldn't require substantive changes to the program, which has been working really well as a public-private partnership. So um, increasing the availability of bonds is one, and then fixing the 4% tax credit um, not to get too deep in the weeds here, but that makes the, the federal low-income housing tax credit more powerful and would make a lot more projects feasible. So between increasing the bonding um, and uh, strengthening that 4% credit, that would really allow a lot of these um, projects to, to move forward um, and quicker than, than before. And then, of course, you know, we're advocates as well for increased um, local subsidy for the lower set-aside units and helping make more of those available um, uh, as, as, as possible, so. Mike, do you have anything to add to that? No, I think you hit the nail on the head there. <laughs> well, when you talked about the local, at the local level, I know there tends to be some, uh, of course, NIMBY opposition from time to time. And, and um, I think just personally, I think people have maybe a preconceived notion of what affordable housing is and, and things of that nature. But well, you're looking at these projects, these are really sharp um, projects. I know the one you're working on there in, in Northeast Minneapolis and, and affordable doesn't mean second rate by any means. These are, these are really nice homes um, for, for working people, um, teachers, uh, police officers, and so on. So um, how do you go about educating people, I guess, or making, um, overcoming some of those barriers at the local level? Yeah, we, we totally agree. It, and it is all about that education, you know, so for our projects, uh, we don't, want or we don't think that you drive by our project and you can identify it as an affordable housing project you know it's a it competes with market rate projects um and it should be it should be equal you know the these aren't second class citizens that are you know you know that they're equal to to everyone else that that can afford the market rate project so um, they need to be the same and they need to be able to compete with one another. So um, partnering with um, groups like ESG that's, you know, prolific on the market rate side and has great, great design. Um, that's, that's one way uh, uh, that we kind of try to level the playing field. Um, and as you said, it's about education. It's about explaining uh, the income levels 
the rents, the programs. Um, and then a lot of times it's about, you know, showing or rendering. Uh, as you mentioned, it's a sharp looking project that we have uh, on California Street. And um, when you just talk about affordable housing, you're right, people have preconceived notions that it's something else. Um, so when they see a rendering, oftentimes it's like, oh, okay, this is different than what I had, what I had envisioned. So, um, but it is a, it is definitely a challenge. Um, we see it on pretty much every project, uh, that we do. Um, but it's, uh, it's part of the job. So, um, yeah. Anything else? No, I think the more that you can show people, um, you know, what types of jobs qualify for affordable housing in this space and and uh what that means they start to realize that that uh um you know they understand who it's serving and hopefully come around on on supporting a nice a nice looking project that that can uh provide a long-term stable option for folks yeah i i see um new housing apartments and affordable and market rate and otherwise going up in my um, neighborhood in my my city here i happen to live in richfield but i just look at it as either more neighbors coming in who are going to uh, contribute to the local economy and um, more power to them I'm, I'm happy to see it so i don't know maybe you know good to see people building things out there mm -hmm. um, but anyway do you do you uh gentlemen have anything else to that you'd like to touch on before I let you go, it's been a fun conversation. No, nothing that I have. It's been it's been great. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, you bet. Well, thank you both for joining, uh, for checking in, and um, good luck on your projects. Um, wish you a lot of success. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for listening, and please subscribe to Beyond the Skyline. We can be found wherever you listen to your podcasts. To learn more about finance and commerce or to subscribe, go to our website, www.finance-commerce.com. I'm Joel Shetler, Editor of Finance and Commerce. Thank you again for listening to Beyond the Skyline.